Hey there, friend. I'm Susan, and this is the Spark Chasers podcast, a series dedicated to the educational changemakers who embrace creativity, seek out challenges, and collaborate on solutions. This is a show for any educator looking to explore the creative side in the classroom, business, and life. So grab a cup of caffeine, your favorite flare pen, and let's chat about what's now and what could be next. Well, hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Spark Chasers. I'm Susan Riley, your host. And here's the deal. We're in March at this time um, that I'm recording this, which means that we can kind of see the end of the road for the 2020-2021 school year. And while this has been a up and down crazy ride this year, one of the things that I've noticed is that productivity is at a premium and that overwhelm is the norm. And the thing is, when I think about overwhelm, I often think, how do I make things more efficient? How do I um, par down some ideas and make sure that I'm streamlining my time so that I am the most effective that I can be without totally burning out? Right. Um, And so I've brought on a guest today, Michelle Emerson from Pocketful of Primary. I love her YouTube channel. Everything she shares is all about making sure that we are maximizing our time and being the very best teachers that we can be. So Michelle is a fourth grade teacher in Maryland who is passionate about technology, time management, organization, and productivity for teachers. And in addition to teaching full-time in the classroom, yes, she does, Michelle serves as her coaches, or her school's e-coach in order to help teachers integrate technology into their instruction. She creates educational videos for teachers on her YouTube channel, which by the way, if you have not checked out, definitely head over there and subscribe. She has over 500,000 subscribers already. She also shares that on Pocketful of Primary and shares productivity tips on her podcast, Teaching to the Top. She believes all teachers should feel empowered by their profession instead of overwhelmed and seeks to help educators create a work-life balance through her tips and strategies. I'm really excited to introduce you to Michelle. So here is our conversation. So Michelle, please tell us a little bit about yourself and Pocketful of Primary. So my name is Michelle Emerson, or some people know me as Michelle Ferre. I got married this past October, so I've had a name change. Congrats. I am, thank you. <laughs> I am in my seventh year of teaching. I taught second grade for three years, and then I'm in my fourth year of teaching fourth grade, which I absolutely love. I got started with Pocketful of Primary my first year of teaching. I very quickly realized my friends and family did not care as much about my life as a teacher as I thought that they would. And so I had all of this passion and like nowhere to funnel it. So I decided to start an Instagram just so I could kind of get out some of the ideas that were constantly circulating through my head. And around that time, I also started selling some of my teacher resources that I was creating because my school at the time, we didn't have a set curriculum. So I was making Mm -hmm. almost everything from scratch. Mm -hmm. And about two years later, I had kind of exhausted Instagram captions. I felt like 
like I was writing books, basically every <laughs> caption. I'm like, this is not effective. And I wanted a better way to be able to, again, get out all of those ideas in my head. So I shifted to a YouTube channel. That way I could show what I was talking about. I could talk more in depth and I've been doing it ever since. So I focus primarily on organization, technology integration, and productivity for teachers. That's fantastic. So, you know, one of the the things that we, I'm going to go a little bit off, I'm going to pivot just like I talked about <laughs> earlier. Um, one of the things that, that we do every year is a, a teacher survey on what is happening right now in your classrooms. What are you struggling with? What are some things that are opening up that maybe we weren't aware of before? And I find it fascinating how teachers find professional development because mm -hmm. over the last three years, I've noticed a big shift in that survey on where teachers are going. And it's not just to sites anymore. And it's not just to the, the regular, like big names like Edutopia or Scholastic. They're actually going to YouTube and seeking out that uh, PD on their own. And I think that's fantastic. One of the things that our listeners oftentimes ask about are the nitty gritty on, in terms of like, how do you get yourself found on YouTube? So I know that for us, like we use a lot of SEO tactics. What are some things that you have found that have been successful for you on that platform? Yeah, that's a great question. I honestly should be a lot better with SEO than what I am. <laughs> honestly, I think for me, my biggest thing has just been consistency. I post a video every Sunday and I've now been doing it for going on five years, I think it is. And I think total I've missed less than five videos wow. going up a week. So I've been very, very consistent and it becomes something where people know, Hey, Sunday morning, I log in 7.00 AM pocket full of primary is going to have a video up and it helps establish that relationship between myself and my audience. They know me, they feel, or at least they feel like they know me and <laughs> they now can trust me because they know I'm going to consistently put out content. Right. And I also think it's just relevancy. I mean, for me, my angle has always been what would be helpful for me. Like if I was a new teacher or a veteran teacher thrown into, especially now with this whole virtual hybrid teaching, all of that, like what would be helpful for me? And I put out videos and sometimes it seems super simple to me, but I've realized my ordinary is someone else's extraordinary. So something to me that is so simple. And I'm like, oh, everyone's doing this. The reality is not everyone is doing that. So even just sharing those little things that are working for you, another teacher out there is going to find it relevant. And then when you're consistently putting out that relevant content, they're going to keep coming back to you. Absolutely. That's such a great tip. And I think it not only transfers in terms of social media and being able to kind of build an audience and have that relationship piece, but also what we do in the classrooms, right? Like consistency wins with our kids as well. Yeah. And it's building that routine, right? You know, our kids come in, they know exactly what to expect in the morning. They know what the procedures are. Same thing. My viewers all know, Hey, if I go to her channel Sunday morning, I'm going to see a new video. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So during this past year, which, you know, crazy, uh, what has made the biggest impact for you in terms of your teaching practice? I think personally, it just has been that reminder of how important student relationships are. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something we all know. And we're constantly like, yeah, I build relationships with my students. But I think sometimes we get so caught up in, oh, am I on pace with the curriculum? Am I preparing them for the assessment? And all of those other things take over. And then those student relationships kind of take a back seat. But I feel like this time has really forced me to refocus on, you know what, at the 
end of the day, that is truly what matters because right now we don't have testing going on and, you know, curriculum being on pace. What even is that? Because <laughs> last year ended in a hot mess. Like I really realized, you know what? It's about that relationship that I have with my kids. And especially when half of my kids right now, I haven't even met them in person. So the fact that I really need to make sure that I know them in and out as best as I can through a screen, I think it's just been that reminder of, you know what, that's truly why I do it. And that's what I love about teaching. And I need to make that a priority, even when there are 10 million other things that I feel like I have to be focusing on. Yeah. I want to dig into this idea about relationships a little bit, because I think it's really, really critical, especially, you know, we have buzzwords all the time, like SEL, and you're supposed to be building and fostering social emotional learning, but I don't think any of it can happen without relationships. So I'm so glad that you brought that up. What are some ways that you build relationships with your students, both across the screen and in person? So I'm going to start with across the screen because that's what I've been doing since the beginning of the year. We have been virtual. We just switched to hybrid last week. So I've had three days with half of my <laughs> classes. So in terms of across the screen, I think it's really just making sure that I'm giving them the time and the space to be able to open up and to talk and truly listening, right? Like it's not when they're sharing about their weekend, I'm over here grading assignments. Uh-huh. Yep. That sounds great. No, I'm actually actively looking at them. I'm asking them questions. I'm engaging. I truly want to know what did they do over the weekend? Oh, you went to grandma's house. Hey, where does grandma live? What did you do with grandma? And asking them those follow-up questions. It's just the same way we build relationships in, in real life. You know, it's making sure you're actually actively listening to them and giving them that time and that space. And, you know, for me, finding little ways to try to connect with them, for example, around winter break time, uh, we were going to watch a movie as a class as like a fun, Hey, we made it through, you know, almost half of the year at this point. And so I went to each of their houses and I delivered them popcorn and hot chocolate. Cause I knew they might not all have that at home. And I think it's, it's not about the popcorn or hot chocolate. It's the gesture. It's the fact that they see, wow, my teacher on a Saturday is pulling up in her car and, and delivering this to my house. And it's showing them, you know what? I truly, I care about you and I want to do things that make you happy. And I want to be able to be there for you and just giving them that, that ability to be vulnerable with me. And I think being vulnerable with them back. You know, I share about things from my own personal life. And I know there's some teachers that don't want to open up about, you know, they're like, well, it's my personal life. But I think at the end of the day for our students to see, you know what, my teacher is a human too. And they struggle with some of the same things I struggle with, even as a kid, right? It's so funny, the things we thought, oh, when I'm an adult, like I'm going to have it all figured out. And then lo and behold, none of us have it figured out. Being able to be open in those moments and share that with them, I think then gives them permission to, to be that vulnerable with me back. Yeah, I also think it builds those skills, right? Like I I remember very clearly when I was maybe a second year teacher, my grandmother had passed away and I was I had gotten the news while I was teaching. And I remember stopping and thinking, you know, I was really upset and I thought I should pull this together. I'm a professional, I should pull it together and I can collapse when I get home. And then I thought no, my kids are sitting here and this is an opportunity for them to see that I'm a human, mm -hmm. but also to practice empathy, mm -hmm. you know, and sympathy and empathy and what that looks like in real time. And it does, it fosters a connection. And of course you don't want to overstep a ton of bounds, but I think in a situation like that, it does, it builds those connections with kids. Um, so I love this idea of dropping off the popcorn and the, the hot chocolate. It's such a little thing, but it makes such a big impact for your students. How did the parents receive that? I'm, I'm curious. 
Yeah. So I, first of all, I made sure I reached out to all the families ahead of time because I knew there might be families that don't want me to do that. And that's completely fine. So I gave them the option, Hey, I can mail it to you or I can swing by your house. And every single parent responded. I used a, you know, a simple Google form. Every single parent told me they wanted me to drop it off. And so many of them were like, well, can you let me know when you're coming by? Cause they want to like wave to you through the window. And I think the parents all appreciated that you know, me kind of going the extra yard, um, during a time when, again, so many of the students, I hadn't seen them in person. And so being able to give them that small sense of like normalcy, I think was very much appreciated. And then in return, you know, I started having parents who were like, Hey, like if you're okay, sharing your address, like we have something to drop off to you. And again, I know there's teachers out there who are like, I don't want them to know where I live, but to (laughs) me, I'm like, please, by all means, like, I want them to be able to, I, I always tell my students, once my student, always my student. And, you know, even if you've been out of my classroom five years, you can always come back to me if you need anything, I'm here. And so, yeah, I'm perfectly fine with them knowing where I live and, hey, I want to stop by and, and bring you something cool. Like I'm down for that. Right. Well, and I think it, it builds that advocacy piece too. Like your parents are some of your best advocates for your children, right? Like you have to work in tandem together. And I see particularly this past year, it's been so difficult with some teachers being able to develop that relationship with parents and get them to be that advocate. So I think it's a wonderful opportunity to do that, you know, and also to have your kids there as well. Um, Do you, where's your stance on the um, kids need to have their videos turned on versus off debate? (laughs) Honestly, I feel like I'm going to pull Switzerland here because I truly do see both ways. Um, personally, I know my district, we started with the stance of they don't have to have it on. And then later on when it was like, okay, actually we're going to be doing this most of the year. You probably should have your camera on. It shifted. And I will be honest. I still have kids who don't always have their cameras on. I'll give them a reminder once. And then I'm not going to push it because I know personally when I'm in meetings, like, you know what, if I've had a rough morning, like I don't really want my video on. And (laughs) to me, as long as I can see that they are engaging in some way, whether it's they're typing in the chat, they're on the Nearpod and I can see them solving it. I'm fine for that. And, you know, I'll have students who will send me little private messages on Google classroom. So their camera may not be on, but I'm still connecting with them in other ways. And that's okay. I don't think students should feel pressure to have their camera on all the time. I do think there's, you know, a time and a place where like, Hey, I might need your camera on because I need to see your reaction to this or whatever it is. But Ultimately, I'm, I'm not going to push it because I think, again, students are at their home. That's a very sacred place. And, you know, there may be things there or things going on that they don't want me to be privy to. And I respect that. And I trust them, you know. Sure. Uh, there's that keyword. And it's something that we talk about a lot with um, our teacher audience is the idea of trust. Right. Building that trust. And that goes back to relationships. You can't have trust unless you've done the work at building those relationships. And so it's totally worth the time. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, Okay. So thinking about what um, you typically share with your audience, um, a lot of it, from my understanding, has a lot to do with productivity. Like everything that I was going through, I was like, oh, this is so good. Like the organizational tips and the tech tips and how to streamline things. So what are some specific ways that that you can streamline things for virtual learning, hybrid or in-person? What are some tips that you've got for our educators? So the number one thing I've been doing since all of this happened is 
sticking to one platform and using it consistently. I think this is not the time as much as we all want to try out all the new tech tools. And I'm actually my school's e-coach. So I'm like all about the technology. But right now, teachers don't have the time to learn how to use a brand new tool to be fully effective. And then the students, they don't need the pressure of learning a new tool every week or you know what I mean? So I've been sticking to Nearpod. Nearpod has been my go-to. I use it to teach every subject every day. Mm -hmm. And I know some people would be like, well, doesn't it get stale? You would be surprised. Nearpod has this one game called time to climb and it's, they have a little character and they're climbing up a hill. So when they get the question, right, they move up every single day. My kids are like, is there a time to climb? Is there a time to climb? Mm -hmm. And even though they do it every single day and they do it in math, they do it in science, they still love it. So for me, having that consistency of my students know I'm going to send them the Nearpod link in the chat and they're going to log in and they know the steps. Again, it helps build that sense of normalcy. And it makes it easier for me because I have it integrated with Google slides. So I actually have a slide template and I use it for every lesson. So when it's time to plan the next lesson, I make a copy of the slides, change out the information, save it to Nearpod and I'm ready to go. So it has made my workload a lot less. And as a result, I can put more effort into planning the actual lesson and making sure that I have all of those different elements that I want. And to go along with that, again, with that whole work, uh, lessening the workload, really collaborating with my team teachers has been huge. And that's been something I personally have always struggled with because I am such a perfectionist and it's that whole, like, well, if you don't want it done right, you got to do it yourself. But I've really embraced divvying up the workload. So currently Wednesdays are a day we're not really teaching new lessons. It's more so like intervention, flex time, things like that. So my one team teacher who teaches the exact same subjects as me, I plan Monday, Tuesday, she plans Thursday, Friday. And then we also have created a rotation with the reading teachers. So I teach math, science, and social studies. And then we have other teachers that teach reading science and social studies. So we've split it up where math teachers will plan all the science and reading teachers will plan all the social studies. We have a Google doc. So we all have access to it. Whoever's turn it is to plan that lesson. You drop in the Nearpod link, you drop in the link to the slides, you let them know, Hey, it needs to be an assignment and it's worth this many points. And it has made it so, so much easier. And then the last thing I would say is just using checklists, which I feel like I've had to adapt a million times because everything keeps changing. But in order to stay on top of, okay, every week I need to do all of these things. I've created a checklist. I use Google keep and Google keep. Once you check off items on your little task, you can then reuse it. So you can uncheck them all at one time. So I have my like weekly planning checklist and I use it week after week after week. And it helps me make sure that I'm getting all of those different components done. Yeah. I love these. And it's, there seems like a common theme of keep it simple, like yep. streamline, keep it as simple as possible. I think that's one of the the things that I know I've learned in this whole mess, but as, as well as many of the teachers that I work with is as keep it as simple as you possibly can. Don't try to make it so complicated and full of all the bells and whistles because the kids don't need it. And it's not something that's going to be beneficial for your time. Um, I'm curious about your collaborative planning with your, your teachers. Um, how do you do that virtually in terms of other than just having like the Google doc with what everybody's assignment is, do you actually have an opportunity to collaboratively plan? Yes. So we have a meeting time once a week. So the reading teachers will meet and then the math teachers will meet. 
And so when the math teachers meet, we focus primarily on math, but we'll spend the last little bit of time on like science or social studies. So we have three teachers in our grade level that teach math. The three of us all hop onto Google Meet at that set time. We have an agenda. And so I prepare the agenda ahead of time and send it out to them. And I go through ahead of time and I will actually kind of outline each lesson. Like here's the objective, here's, you know, the problems we're going to have them do. So that way, when we're meeting, we can use our time as efficiently as possible. We're not spending time opening up the curriculum. Hey, what lesson were we on again? It's already outlined so that we're just going through saying, yep, I think that's going to work well for my students. Oh, what if we link to these virtual manipulatives? And we're truly using that time to collaborate and go, how can we make this lesson fit for our students' needs versus spending the time just trying to like locate the lesson and do all of those basic things that truly can be done ahead of time. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes total sense. Um, is there a way that you document that? Like, cause I know for us, one of the things that we do, especially with arts integration is that it's finding the, the places where things fit and then documenting that so that people can see it later. Like, oh yeah, we covered that back in, in February, but it's swinging back now in April. Can we reference that again? Do you have a way to, to kind of keep track of that? Or is that just kind of more organic? So it's through, I would say through our agenda, which is a Google doc and we open it up. And as we're going through and making changes, we're editing that document. So we always can go back and see, oh, the week of, you know, November 10th, here's the lessons that we did. Here's the exact like problems that we had them do. Here's the changes and modifications that we made. And then obviously through like our Google classroom, we can always look back and see those previous assignments. But I would say more so those collaborative planning agendas through Google Docs is what we use to kind of track it over time. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, so do you have any other productivity tips for teachers that they can take advantage of other than keep it as simple as possible and don't reinvent the wheel, <laughs> all of those components? Yeah. So Personally, I've done a lot of reflecting on what actually is productivity because I think a lot of people say, oh, well, I'm going to be more productive. And it's like, okay, but what do you mean by that? So I've broken it down. I think productivity has two elements. Element number one is your efficiency. So your ability to do things in less time. And then there's the element of, I used to say motivation and more recently I've realized it's, it's discipline because motivation comes and goes. Discipline is what you truly can rely on. So in terms of increasing your efficiency. Again, those recurring checklists um, that you can reference and make sure you're getting all of those components are huge. But another game changer for me is using something I call a power list. So a power list is a list of your three things you're going to get done for the day. I think we all have looked at that like ongoing to-do list and we have felt so overwhelmed. We didn't even know where to start. And as a result, during our planning time, we're sitting there like twiddling our thumbs because we're like, I have 10 different things to do and I don't know where to start. So for me, using that power list really makes me focus on, Hey, I may not get everything done, but I'm at least going to get these three things done. And if I do that Monday through Friday, that's 15 items that I'm checking off of my list, which is huge. Mm -hmm. So having that power list and going into the day, knowing I'm going to do these three things is just a game changer. So that's the efficiency component in terms of discipline. Obviously it's something you have to develop. It becomes habitual, but one suggestion that has really helped me is called eat the frog. So this is not my original idea. Um, I forget, was it 
Mark Twain. I don't know. There was someone who had this like idea of you have to eat the frog, which means you're going to do whatever your most tedious task or your biggest task, whatever task you're like dreading the most, get that done first thing, because then it's done. It's off of your plate. And even if you don't get anything else done, you can say, you know what? At least I ate the frog. At least I got that big task done. I'm also a big believer in activity leads to more activity and inactivity leads to more inactivity. So if you have a day where you immediately get a big task done, you're going to be more productive throughout the day because you feel good. You have those endorphins going, you feel productive versus if you're like, well, no, I'll do that later. I'll do that later. That's when that procrastination starts to spiral. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I love that because it also, and I like that you've broken productivity down into two buckets. Um, that idea of the power list is so, so important. I'm so glad that you brought that up. There's something that I, I advocate for all the time called context switching. The idea that we're not, have you heard of context switching before? Yes. yes. Yeah. The idea that we're, we're staying in the zone and getting through those, those three power list items so that you don't switch back and forth if at all possible, because you're wasting time, but it's also, it bridges that gap, right? Between discipline and efficiency, because if you're disciplined enough to make sure that you are hitting those things, you're going to, one leads to the other, right? It's almost like an infinity sign. Yeah. I've always referred to that like task switching versus multitasking. I think we all say, oh, well, I'm a good multitasker. And it's like, okay, but look at what you're actually doing. You're not multitasking, you're task switching. You're jumping from one thing to another, to another multitasking is simultaneously doing two things like walking and talking at the same time, but that's not what you're doing. You're checking your email and then you're going over to Google drive. And then you're like, oh, I've got to grade that math assignment. And then like you said, your brain has to like switch every single time. And it ends up, you're not as productive. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so while we're thinking about this idea of productivity, I think one of the things that I, I know a lot of teachers um, struggle with is how structured that feels maybe, or how the structured they feel like they need to be in it. I think it's a mindset shift for a lot of educators. We work with a lot of arts teachers as well as classroom teachers. And particularly my arts teachers kind of buck this idea of making sure that we're doing lists and we're checking things off. <laughs> so do you feel like teachers can be both creative and structured at the same time? I definitely think it is possible so long as the structure isn't too much, because I think if there's too much structure, it, it does start to diminish that creativity. So personally, the connection that I make is I was coming from a district where we had no curriculum and I had the freedom to teach however I wanted. And that was fantastic. I mean, I truly could be as creative as I wanted. But when I switched districts, suddenly it was, hey, we have a curriculum and you have to teach us curriculum. And it was all of a sudden that like I kind of panicked. I was like, wait, what do you mean? I have to do it that way. But I almost feel like that structure kind of forced me to think outside of the box more so because it's like, well, okay, if I have to stick to the structure, how can I make that work for me? How can I still add in those components of the way that I love to teach and make it work? So I do think structure a lot of times is what sparks creativity. I think a lot of the biggest you know, inventions out there have been to solve a problem. And I think of that problem as being that structure, right? And so that creativity is what allows you to expand beyond that. Absolutely. I mean, think about Twitter. You're limited to a certain amount of characters mm -hmm. and you've got to get your idea within that amount of characters, right? So how can you creatively fit within the structure and confines that you've been provided? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I love that. So, um, 
last question. Um, I love that we, by the way, that we've done this kind of like rapid fire. And even though we've kind of gone off course a little bit, um, it's just so, so great to get your opinion on some of these things, because I think so many people are intimidated, particularly this year with um, their productivity, but also how to fit that into their curriculum without feeling super overwhelmed and burnt out. So what do you think is the most important thing that teachers should walk away with this year? Well, that was a great segue and you didn't even know it because I think the biggest takeaway is that reminder of at the end of the day, you can't do everything. Your to-do list is always going to be there and it's always going to be growing. And even if you spend every waking hour, you're always going to find more to do because I feel like, and this is, you know, I'm kind of grouping us all together, but a majority of teachers, I would say, have that personality of, well, I always want to go above and beyond. I always want to do more. And it comes down to, we want to do it for our students. But I think personally, I've really stuck to some boundaries this past year that I didn't have in place prior. I was always at, you know, last car of the parking lot and dedicating my weekends to work. And this past year, with everything going on, I just kind of shifted my focus and I started saying, you know what, I'm not going to work outside of contract hours. And honestly, that has been the single best decision I think I've ever made in my teaching career, because now at the end of the day, I walk away from my classroom, I can actually decompress and I can explore these other passions of mine. And then when I step back into my classroom the next day, I am so much more present for my students because I'm not feeling the weight of everything I have to do. I just tell myself, you know what? It will get done. And ultimately it does always get done. And it's really forced me to prioritize again, what's most important. And it goes back to that idea of keeping things simple. I've gotten rid of a lot of the fluff quote unquote that I used to have. And I'm still the same teacher that I was. I'm still there for my students and my students still love me. And it made me realize that a lot of those things, they just weren't necessary. And so by focusing on what truly matters, setting those boundaries and saying, I'm, I'm going to only work contract hours. I feel like it has made me a better teacher and it's made me then better in other areas of my life. I'm a better wife. I'm a better friend. I'm a better athlete because I can devote time to those other passions outside of teaching. I think that's so important, Michelle. I think so many teachers feel like they need to wear a badge of honor of coming in early, staying late. And I want to ask them who's seeing the badge and who's the badge for, because it can't be for you. And I'm not sure that what that, that badge is the, the kids are ever going to notice it either. Um, and the idea that you are a better teacher because of the structures that you, and the boundaries that you have put into place is such an important idea to share. So I thank you so much for being a part of the conversation today. How can people get in touch with you? So you can follow me on Instagram at pocket full of primary. So it's, I am awful at spelling out loud. P O C K E T F U L O F P R I M. A-R-Y. <laughs> and that also is my name on YouTube. So pocket full of primary on there. And I do also have a podcast. If you're all into that teacher productivity, it's called teaching to the top. I partner with my best friend, Bridget, who is also a teacher and we talk all things, teacher productivity. Fantastic. I'm going to make sure that we put those in the show notes so that everybody can find you. Thank you again for being on the show today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. 
Well, check that off your list, my friends. You just finished another episode of the Spark Chasers podcast. If you want more, head over to artsintegration.com forward slash spark chasers for show notes, a space to tell me what you thought of today's show, and links to what we talked about today. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. This helps others find the show so we can all grow and learn together. Can't wait to get together again soon.